to Amanda, my beautiful daughter. Last week at church, Reverend Alberts was preaching about coming home for Christmas. He was talking about how God is always ready to give us a second chance. And he read that same story that I used to read you when you were younger. A story about a son who gets angry with his father, runs away, loses everything that he once loved, but then eventually, boy realizes what he's lost and he decides to go home. He's ashamed of what he's done. And when he arrives home, the father is there. The father is waiting for him. But before the boy can even get to the house, the father runs to him and embraces him and he welcomes him back home child gets a second chance. The way it's written, it seems like, like he, even if the son never came home, the father would still have been waiting. That's how much he loved his child. I've been thinking a lot about this story lately. I don't know everything that's been going on these last few years. I know that you've been let down by others. I know that working three jobs was exhausting. I know that being a single mother was a huge responsibility. You may have felt like you were doing the best thing for Will when you left, or maybe you didn't, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know. A lot of pain and hurt, the pressure that you're feeling. I don't claim to understand it all, but I do know that I miss my daughter. And so does your little one, and so does your mother. I'd like to think that that, that story from the Bible, that's us, me, you. On the day you come home, I'll be there. I'll run out to you and I'll hug you and I'll throw the biggest party that you've ever seen. I would be endlessly happy for you to be home. But I'm afraid it might not happen that way. The cancer is spreading my lungs. And each day has become more and more difficult to endure. Part of why I'm writing this letter is just to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I might be gone before you return. But I still hope you do with or without me. It may not be easy. 
may feel like you don't belong anymore. We don't always get the chance to fix all the things that get broken in life. There's a whole world of I'm sorry's that may never get spoken. We may not get to say all the goodbyes. And if I don't get to see your smile again, if I don't get another chance to tell you you're beautiful, if I don't get to be there for Christmas dinner or to wrap the presents with the kids, if I'm not there, then I just want you to know one thing. The story is still true. You'll always be welcome home. Some people will give you a second chance. Some might not. But I know Reverend Alberts was right. God will always give you a second chance. He will always be there, ready for you, waiting for you. And I'll do the same as long as I can. And if not, then I hope you get this letter. Know that I adore you. With love, Dad. This is probably the greatest known story that Jesus ever told. Story of the prodigal son. There was a son who decided that he knew a better way. He asked his dad if he could get his share of the inheritance early. And for whatever reason, the father obliged and divided his share of the inheritance and gave the estate half to the younger son and half to the older brother. And he told him, it's yours. And the younger son had had all of these dreams that he had been thinking about the day when he would finally be able to live life his own way and make all of the choices and all of the decisions. He had a freedom plan in his mind. If he could just get the cash, if he could just get in charge, if he could just get out of there and live life the way that he wanted to live. And after having the money and disappearing as it turns out, our freedom plans aren't always what we think they're going to be. He discovered as he hit rock bottom that the centerpiece of this story that's found in Luke chapter 15 is wrapped up in verse 20. When it says this about the son, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Tonight I want you to know that this is the gospel wrapped up in one verse. This is our story tonight that is wrapped up within this passage. Here on this Christmas Eve, if you're wondering what is this all about today, everything about this day is summarized in this one verse. So he got up and he went to his father. He didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what would go down when he got there. He didn't know what the consequences were going to be. What he recognized is somehow I overestimated how great it was going to be when I was in charge of my own life and I could do it my own way. And he began to recognize that the lowest of my father's servants 
have it better than I have it right now. So I am heading home. And he got up and he went to his father. But here's the story tonight. We're not simply here to celebrate a baby that's been born in Bethlehem. We are here to celebrate a story, which is a story of mercy and a story of grace on an exponential level that is greater than anything we have ever seen within our lives. Because this story says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. There's a few things about this story that I think are interesting. Number one, we know of this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in fact, it has become part of the vernacular of our world, this term prodigal, which we apply to anyone who seems to take off. And when they do, their life goes off the rails and their life and their plans and their dignity seem to unravel. And we look at that and say, boy, they're prodigal. But there's a wild card in this kid's story. And I have discovered that oftentimes when we are pursuing our own freedom plan, there always seems to be a wild card that we didn't expect. Something that we didn't see coming when we were dreaming about how great it was going to be when we could do it our own way. And in this kid's case, there was a famine that hit the land. And now he is broke. The whole country is broke. So he has to get a job. And if you don't know much of the context of this particular passage of scripture then this next part just kind of flies by and you don't get it but he has to get a job at a pig farm which would be the worst possible scenario worst thing you could think of imaginable and Jesus is talking and Luke is recording that all of these sinners as Jesus is telling the story all of the sinners and the tax collectors as they gathered them together those would be the lowest of the low were pressed up against Jesus because they wanted to hear what he had to say. So all of the undesirables wanted to be near Jesus. But there was this outer ring of people that were there at the same time. And they had their arms crossed and their glasses down on their nose. They were the, the arrogant, the religious uppity-ups, the better-than-you-all type of people. And they're listening to Jesus tell the story. And they're watching the undesirables pressing around him. And they're going, this guy has no clue who is trying to get close to him. The translation being that if Jesus only knew the kind of people that were touching him and pressing against him, that he would shrug them off and get them away from them because you can't be the Son of God. You can't be the Messiah and let people like this touch you because there's no fixing them. And of course, Jesus, in the middle of all of this, knew exactly what they were thinking. And so right away, he begins to tell a series of stories. And this is where the first misconception comes about this story. Because for those of you who have Bibles and you recognize, you look at it, and there are little headers in your Bible that kind of tell you what the next few paragraphs might be about. And there's chapters and verses that weren't there in the original letters. And when the header of... Luke chapter 15 was put in, the header lady or the header dude, whoever it is that put it there, didn't get it right because they put in the header the prodigal son. And we have since associated that term prodigal with a runaway. But prodigal does not mean I left my family and I blew up my life and I dragged my family name through the mud and I wasted all the money and I ended up in the rock bottom pit. That's not the definition of prodigal in the dictionary. Prodigal means extravagant, 
and lavish. Extravagant and lavish. Now that's interesting, isn't it? There's certainly some extravagance in this kid. Because in the Jewish culture, to go to your father and say, can I have my inheritance now? Can I have my half now translates into a street language of I can't wait for you to die. So why don't you just give me what's coming to me and then whatever happens to you happens to you and I can walk out and live my life. And the moment he received it and walked out of the door, he became dead to his family as if he never existed. Now there's a lot of extravagance in that kind of an attitude. There's a lot of extravagance in his brother. You know the older brother, the one who got up early every morning, showed up five minutes to eight, five minutes before starting time, just saying, hey, everybody, just want you to know I'm here. See me? I'm here again early as usual, just setting an example for all of you. In fact, I got up really early this morning, got all my chores done, read my Old Testament reading plan, and I'm just here to show all of you how to do it the right way. And I'm punching the clock, checking in, checking out. Dad, do you see me? I'm doing it right. Like I always do, clocking in, clocking out, clocking in. Dad, do you notice me? Because he thought the whole time, I am earning my way into my father's good graces. And as this story is being told, we are reminded that the older brother still got half the cash, but he doesn't know what he has, and he doesn't know who he is. So when the younger brother comes home at the end of the story, the older brother says, there is no way that I am celebrating that kid. There is no way that I am going to celebrate with you for a kid that trashed our family's name and reputation. I just won't do it. And his unforgiveness and his bitterness And his condemnation of his brother was absolutely extravagant and lavish. But the most lavish and extravagant one in this story is not the hard partier and it's not the non-forgiver. The most extravagant thing we see in this story is the father's heart of mercy and love and grace. We see a father's determination and patience and long-suffering the nights that he prayed and he watched and he waited and he sat on the porch looking up the road waiting for his son to come home so that he could go and throw his arms around his boy and celebrate the son coming home he's the most lavish he's the most extravagant one in this story and so the header should accurately read the prodigal father. But the religious know-it-alls cross their arms and in their spiritual arrogance and their lack of compassion, they listen to Jesus tell the stories and they just said, hmm, hmm. So Jesus said, I've got a few stories for you guys. Not for the inner circle, not for those that are pressing up against me, waiting for any nugget of truth which might give them hope. No, no, these stories are for those of you on the outside looking at all of us, thinking that you are too good for the gospel. And Jesus said there was a shepherd had a hundred sheep. And one had strayed and got lost. And do you know what that shepherd did? That night when all of them came back and he counted and there were 99 of them, he was a great pastor, so he did what any pastor would do. He goes, 99% attendance. Wow. That's fantastic. 
This is an Instagram moment. We need to take a picture, put it on the front page of our Facebook. 99%. It doesn't get much better than that. And I know that on Christmas Eve, there are some of you who made it through the doors tonight that haven't been through the doors of a church in a long time. And the reason you haven't is because you get this part of the story. Because in all honesty, if you were to tell your story tonight, it might sound like this. You know, when I was going through my divorce, the people at my church just seemed to vanish. People that I thought I was close with just seemed to turn their backs and walk away. Or when I went to rehab again, the church people just gave up on me. They, they wrote me off as a lost cause and the text dried up and the emails went away. Or when I was struggling with depression and trying to find a reason to live. And the church people at my church were just coming up around me and telling me, all you need is a little bit more of the joy of the Lord. You can do this. And tried to cheer me up without an understanding of everything that was going on. And when I couldn't pretend anymore without real help, it became easier just not to come. And the people didn't even seem to notice that I wasn't coming around anymore. Or the parents who have struggled with issues with their child said, listen, it wasn't that we didn't want to come to church. We just couldn't come to church. We could not leave our son or our daughter alone. We just couldn't do it. And the religious uppity-ups look at them and say, mm, yeah, mm, yeah. And there's so many that said, we seem to be forgotten by those who don't seem to have problems. But this shepherd that Jesus is talking about in this story is not like that. This shepherd left the 99 in the pen, walked into the night, went out searching, found the lost sheep in a thicket, untangled it, picked it up, brought him home on his shoulders. And as he's getting close, he begins to yell to the other shepherds around going, hey guys, come around all my buddies. We're building the fire up big tonight. We're celebrating. I had a sheep that was lost, but I went out and I found him and I'm coming home. The flock is intact. The one who was lost has been found. And then Jesus leads into a second story. And he says, there was a woman and she had 10 coins and one slipped out of her money bag and it went into the furniture somewhere in her house. And this woman said, you know what? 90 cents on the dollar, what's the big deal if I lose a dime? That's not her at all. She frantically began a search throughout her house, looking everywhere, in all of the corners, swept every room, texted all of her friends that she knew and said, hey, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm looking for a lost coin. And when she finally found it, she celebrated with everybody. She said, hey, thanks for praying. Thanks for fasting. Thanks for my friends coming over and lifting up the furniture. I have found my coin and it's worth celebrating because what was lost has been found. And at the end of each of these stories, Jesus adds this little caveat. He says, if you think it's something that a shepherd would celebrate one sheep, or that a woman would celebrate finding a lost coin, you have no idea how heaven celebrates when one lost son or one lost daughter comes home and finds open arms of the Savior to welcome them. He said, there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than there is in any story you could come up with here on earth. And then he said, as he launches into this story, there was a father and he had two sons. And you know what's important 
for me to remember today is this story is not about somebody else. Because I know that there are those of you here tonight going, boo, Pastor Doug, I'm, I'm really glad you're sharing this tonight because our neighbors, man, they really need this. Or phew, my cousin, wow, she's prodigal. Can't wait to tell her to listen to this online. Or I have good friends at work, and boy, they're really going through it. Their kids have just wandered off. They're not talking to each, any, each other anymore. Man, they really need this. Or some of you may say, yeah, I work with a guy at the gym, and man, his wife is blowing things up. They're really needing this. So there's some saying, Pastor Doug, I'm so glad that you're sharing this. But you know what's amazing about this story? This story is not about somebody else. This story's about you. This story's about me. Because the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. In other words, if we were to put ourselves in this story, we would be the one lost sheep. Every single one of us have turned to their own way. We've had our own freedom plans. But the Lord laid the iniquity of us all on his son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice for all of the sin, of all of the wrong, of all of the people, of all time, was laid on Jesus. And so tonight, we celebrate a Savior and a lavish and extravagant Father who's waiting at the end of the road for His lost children to come home. And there has to be a point for each of us when we recognize in our own life when we've tried to do our own freedom plan and we've tried to do things our own way it's just not working without God there's something missing without God my life isn't complete and I'm trying to figure out just now I've realized I was made for a maker I was created by a creator I have a destiny and a purpose, but my destiny and purpose is tied to getting to know the God of heaven who's been waiting at the end of the road for me to come home. There has to be a moment, just like there was with this kid, when he swallowed his pride and he humbled himself. And sitting there in the middle of a pig farm, by the way, the pig farm wasn't just a random thing. When Jesus told that story that the kid went to work at a pig farm, he knew it would aggravate the religious uppity-ups like nothing else would. And when he was sitting in the bottom of the pigsty, finally the scripture says, and this is one of my favorite verses, he came to himself. Do you know that you're a better preacher to yourself than anybody else can be? Do you know that the Holy Spirit can speak things to your heart that you can relate to yourself? In this moment, this kid came to himself. And he said, I'm going home. And then in his tattered clothes, in his stinky way, he found a piece of paper and he begins to write down a little speech that he's prepared to say to his father. And he says to him, Father, I have, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you would just hire me as one of your hired servants, that would be great. And he folded up that little note and he put it into his tattered pocket and 
He began to make his way back home and as he's walking on the road that he had come the other way on, he began to relay in his mind and just rehearse it. I've got to get this speech right. I've only got one chance when I get home to get this right. And so he's practicing all the way. Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you and I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you would just take me back as one of your hired servants. Oh, I hope this speech is good enough for him. And the closer he got to home, as he began to make his way down some familiar roads and begin to see people that would know him, they're looking at him going, oh my goodness, is that the kid that left? He's a wreck. But as he starts up that last knoll before he gets home, the father who's been sitting on the porch waiting is looking out and he sees this scrawny little head poking up over the knoll and he looks and he begins to say, the cadence looks like the walk of my son. And instantly he leaps off the porch and he begins to run down the road toward this little guy that's standing there. And the Bible says that he comes to him and he opens his arms and he grabs his boy and he swings him around and he goes, yes, yes, my son is home. And he puts him down and he looks at him and the son reaches into his pocket and says, Just, wait, 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 Dad, wait, 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 wait. I got this speech. I have sinned against heaven. And I have sinned against you. And I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you would just hire me back as one of your servants. And he barely gets his well-thought-out speech out of his mouth. When the servants begin to show up, and the father turns to them and says, go get him a robe. Go get sandals for his feet. Somebody get him a ring to put back on his finger. My son who was dead is alive again. My son who was lost has come home. We are calling the caterer tonight. We are having a party. We are killing the steer. We are going to celebrate because he who was dead is alive. And he who was lost has been found. And the father never even acknowledged the well-rehearsed speech. And here's why. Because it's not the quality of your words and getting them just right that brings you back to God. It's your heart turning and aiming yourself to come back home. When you turn from your sinful way, and when you turn away from the way that you have been doing things and you start to head back home, God sees the turning. And the reason he sees it is because he's been watching and he's been waiting for you. He's had his eye on you every single day. And if you come home today, you will find open arms. So what do we do with this story this evening? Well, some of you will be like the dad on that short video that was produced by the Passion City Church in Atlanta. And this is giving you the perfect entry to write that loved one of yours a letter. And you can say at the Christmas Eve service, I heard a story that I have known a long time, but it applies to us tonight. And I just want you to know that even though there's been a lot of water that's gone under the bridge and we can't rewind and do things over, there's a lot of stuff that may be jacked up about our family, but I just want you to know that I adore you and that I love you and that I forgive you and it may not happen at the snap of a finger, but I want you to know that you can come back home and I will be waiting with open arms to take you back. 
I think the second thing this story says to us tonight is that if you're the one that's been watching the road, you've been a family member sitting on the porch waiting for your loved one to come home, I just want you to know, keep praying and keep watching and keep believing because listen, you're not the only one who's watching the road. There's a God in heaven that is watching for your loved one and he's believing with you and working with you so that you can see the day when the reunion takes place and there's going to be a moment when you're going to need to be ready to strike up the band of forgiveness and mercy and grace and have a party. So don't stop watching the road. And the third thing the story is telling us is that there is an invitation on the table for everyone today to come home to God. Maybe you feel as if you've gone so far down that road that you don't think that you can find your way back home. How stunning would it be that on Christmas Eve, God told your story tonight to remind your heart that all you have to do is turn around and he'll see it instantly. And the welcome home will be better than what you could have expected because the Father has his arms open and there is grace that is waiting in his arms for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you just found out where home is. And you're going, how did I miss this? <laughs> I've, I've been celebrating Christmas my whole life. I've been singing the same songs of Christmas. I've been celebrating the baby born in Bethlehem at Christmas. And we have a tree. We did the whole thing. But how did I miss this? It never dawned on me that there was a God in heaven who made me in my mother's womb and created me for a relationship with him. I never put together that Christmas and Easter is the same story. And if there is an older brother in the room, chances are in your mind you're thinking, I hate this story. I hate this story because everybody gets off scot-free. Go blow all the family's money. Go party all night. Go live it up. Be an idiot. Then when you come to the end of everything and you've blown it all, all you have to do is just come marching on back home. And when you get here, Dad runs out to meet you, and there's a big, fat celebration with confetti and streamers, and he invites the whole town to come in. Are you kidding me? That's not how God works. The older brother says there are consequences that must be paid for those decisions. But I just want to remind you tonight that while there are consequences to our sin, and while there are some things that can't be put back together, this story is being told over the lips of Jesus. In my Bible, it is written in red, the words of the Lord. And Jesus, when he's telling these stories, knows the consequences of your foolishness and what your foolish choices are. Because when he finished telling these stories, he set his eyes on a place called Calvary. And he went innocent to the cross to take upon himself the sins of the world, the little brother and the older brother. You talk about consequences. Jesus knows the consequences of your sin. Because he died for all of the wrong and all of the guilt and all of the shame. It was all placed on him that day when he, like this father, opened his arms wide and said, Anyone 
even a thief that's four feet away from me in his dying breath can accept the Christmas invitation to come home and find mercy and forgiveness and grace. It's not easy and it was not without consequence because Jesus said, I paid the final sacrifice and I paid it in full so that anyone, whosoever will, may come down the road tonight and find the embrace and the acceptance of the Father who's been waiting for you to come home. What better night to do it than tonight? Every one of you received a candle when you came in. I'm going to ask that you would take them. Don't turn them on just yet. But with a room that is dimmed, here's the way I would like you to respond tonight. If you feel the prompting of the Lord saying, tonight's your night to come home, I'm going to ask that you would turn your candle on and just put it in front of your face so that I can see the lights in this room of those who are saying, you know what, tonight that's me. I'm coming home tonight. I want the embrace of the Father. I see lights all over this room tonight. You're saying, this is it for me. This Christmas Eve is the, is the service where I turn around and I'm coming home. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those who have lit this candle in recognition that tonight is the night that they are turning around, they're coming home. They don't deserve to be called your son, but they know because of you've told the stories that your arms are open and that mercy and grace is available and that you can take upon yourself everything they've done. It's been paid for. Just come home tonight. And as they do so, I pray that you would cleanse them from all their sin. Write their name in the Lamb's book of life. Give them a new start. Make them a brand new creation so that tonight they can say, I accepted the Christmas invitation and I came home in Jesus name Amen